I've got <clears throat> four wonderful kids, three boys and a little girl who regularly steals my heart. I have a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old boy, and a 9-year-old girl. And right now in our home, we're in the phase of life where, I mean, you can entitle the phase of life we're in, it's something like, hey, Dad, I need a ride. Or, is this all we have? There's nothing to eat. Or, can you please get some pizza on the way home? We're in that phase. Um, I miss the phase when the kids were little, when my wife and I, Tiffany, could sort of put borders around their world and we could define what their life was about. Um, What I don't miss was all the diapers, oh, the diapers, I don't miss that. I don't miss the incessant noise. I don't miss the fact that it took an hour to put them to bed generally. I don't miss the epic battles to eat green beans and peas. I don't miss the constant cleanup demands. I don't miss all the visiting bacteria and viruses. You know what I miss the most? I miss the questions. I miss the questions from inquisitive little kids. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I miss the torrent of questions that little kids are equipped to ask their parents. Things like, Dad, why is the sky blue? Dad, where does the sun go at night? Dad, why do you close your eyes when you pray? Dad, why do I hate naps? Dad, why do you love naps? Dad, where did Jesus come from? Dad, who made God? Dad, who made me? Dad, are we there yet? 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 yet? And at some point we stop asking questions. At some point, we stop asking questions. Diane Sawyer, the veteran journalist, said the, early pro- the, the process of asking questions about a story and deciding she loves the er- I love the process about asking questions about a story and deciding which questions matter most. And what we've been trying to do is, as a church, act as if we're young children and ask questions, questions that we might not normally ask, questions that we might think, well, we're not sure that we should even ask those kinds of questions. We're asking questions over this series like, what is a church? We've asked, what is our church to do and to be? We've asked, who is our church to worship? We asked, how is our church to reach the lost? We've been asking questions like children, and we want to continue to ask questions. We want to continue to ask the questions that matter most. And today we're going to ask this question, how are we to build deeply together. How are we to build deeply together? Because people devoted to Jesus, people who are devoted to Jesus means that you're going to be devoted to his people too. Because Jesus made us to need each other. None of us are called to go at this life alone. And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn, as I mentioned earlier, to Acts chapter 2 and see a summary sketch of of how the early church built deeply together. We're going to see how they built deeply. We're going to see and answer the question, how are we to build deeply by seeing this sketch and this picture of what a church ought to be. Let's read beginning in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 42 through verse 47. 
from the English Standard Version. And they, being the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would, as we've been asking these questions, Lord, I pray that we would be able to see with our eyes the answers that you provide, Lord, as we think together how we are to build each individually deeply into the life of the church here, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be, have eyes to see your answer, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be a people that are devoted to Jesus and that devotion expresses itself as we are devoted to other people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see this, thing, this truth here in the Scriptures. I pray that you would speak in and through me, and I pray that you would help me to be able to forget, Lord, myself as I stand up here, and I pray that you would be able to work through my many limitations to be able to faithfully proclaim your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us not just to learn, but I pray that we would hear and change. So it's in your name, Jesus the one whom we take all of our hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. They might not realize it, but Acts chapter 2 is, a, is our origin story. That's where we as Christians, we come from Acts chapter 2. This is the first church in the New Testament age. This church is where all faithful, authentic, gospel-preaching churches have come from. Here is our heritage. Now, just to recap what happened in the beginning part of Acts chapter 2 is that a small group of Christians clustered together in an upper room and prayed. And 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and indwelt the believers with such power and force. There were tongues of fire on people's heads. There were shaking of the room. There was a blowing wind. There was such power and force that it gathered a group of people throughout Jerusalem to come to that spot and wonder aloud, are these men drunk? Here we are early in the morning. And Peter stood up. He stood up and he preached. He said in part, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, he said, Men and women of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that did that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The people listened with rapt attention And the gathered crowd 
was so moved by what they heard, they said, what must we do? What shall we do? And and Peter remarked, said, repent, turn, and be baptized, or join the church, join, join the collection of saints. Turn from your past life and come to Jesus. And so that's what they did. And so Luke gives us a summary of the effect of a converted church gathering together on a regular basis. That summary is this. And we're going to see that there are four different things the people devoted themselves to. While we're only going to look at fellowship, notice what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. We try to do the same. The scriptures, the Bible. The fellowship, which we'll talk about. The breaking of bread, which is hospitality. The prayers, which is what we do. We are a people of prayer that pray to a God who hears and answers prayer. That's the same as it ever was. But today, we're going to talk about fellowship. We're going to talk about what fellowship is, what fellowship looks like, and we're going to talk about how we each individually can be devoted to fellowship. We're going to say, see what fellowship is. We're going to see what fellowship looks like, and we're going to ask how we can be devoted to fellowship. So first, what is fellowship? Fellowship is the means by which Christians in the same local church build deeply together. Now, fellowship can be the kind of word that Christians throw around without really thinking about what it means. Fellowship means to share something in common with other believers. Fellowship means to share something in common with other believers. Now, what did the believers in Acts chapter 2 have in common? Did they all have the same likes and dislikes? No. Did they all have the same hobbies? No. Did they all have the same economic background? No. Did they all have the same education? No. Were they all of the same marital status? No. Were they from the same countries? No. Did they have the, were they from the same generation? No. What did they have in common? They had Jesus in common. And when they found, they found that, those, that because they had Jesus in common, they were able to fellowship with anyone else who had Jesus as well. They were united not around secondary or tertiary items, but they were united around Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and that's, it's, in, it's informative for us even today. As you look around, you might think, I don't have much in common with these people. If you have Christ in common, you have enough. You might think, I'm not sure where I fit in. If you have Christ in common, you can fit in with anyone who calls themselves followers of Jesus. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 44. And here's the effect of their fellowship. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They shared Jesus and therefore began to share what they could with other followers of Jesus at their church. Now, the reason they that there was a lot of need for food and clothing and the basic necessities was because all of the pilgrims, most of the people gathered to hear Peter preach were pilgrims from another part of the Mediterranean world. And so when they got converted, they didn't go home. They made Jerusalem their home. So they didn't have a place to live. They didn't have extra clothes. They didn't have food. And so when the Christians saw that there were other Christians who had need, They began selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all. This was not some kind of forced redistribution, but an expression of their fellowship, their commonality in Jesus together. 
Now, we find ourselves in a different situation. We're not immigrants newly moved to this area with no means of supporting ourselves. But we're called to fellowship with each other just the same. We're called to fellowship with each other just the same. What do we have in common? We have Jesus in common. See, what binds us together is not a, second, a list of secondary items. It's not hobbies or interests or likes or dislikes, but it's Jesus Christ. We must be people like those in Acts chapter 2 that give each other a share of our lives. And we must be willing to take a share from other people's lives as well. Now, we're not going to be able to be connected to everybody in the same way. That's not true. But we are called to be connected to people in this church. Why? Well, because we were made by God. God is three and God is one. God has always been in perfect fellowship with Himself. The reason that we must have a share in other people's lives and give other people a share in our lives is because we have been made to reflect the glory of God. We have been made to reflect the God who is three and the God who is one. We're made to serve and be strengthened by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That unity that is displayed in the Trinity has been, is, is, is the pattern and the blueprint for us to display here. We see this in John 17 when Jesus prays on the night before His crucifixion. He says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one, even as we are one. And the answer to that prayer that Jesus prayed on that night is, is seen in every authentic church that meets around the globe on Sundays. So let us, we, we, we will not understand what fellowship is if we do not understand what unites us, what binds us together. He is the one we have in common. We must be more aware that this takes work. This takes a lot of work. This takes, this takes effort. This takes us directing our eyes onto what is important. If we don't watch it, we can be taken up with all kinds of secondary issues and assume that we don't fit in or we don't, we don't match up with people because we don't have the same hobbies or the same economic background or the same education. Maybe it's that we're not athletes or that we don't have the same marital status or we don't have the same first language or we're not of the same generation or race or ethnicity. We don't have, we don't have the same political party or persuasions. But, but those are not the reasons we gather together. Those are not the reasons that we can enjoy fellowship together. The reasons we can enjoy fellowship together is because of what Christ has done for us all, each uniquely and individually. That's why we gather. That's who we are. That's who we have in common. We have more Christians. We have more in common with each other than we don't. We have more in common because we have Christ. Now, think of, think of the person in the room here maybe, or person in the church, that is just totally different than you. You have more in common with that person because they have Christ and so do you than you do with someone out who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. 
even though you match up with all kinds of different preferences and likes. We have more in common than we don't. And we have to keep our eyes on that. If we don't, we're going to forget that. We're going to forget that, that what unites us is not preferences. What unites us is not that we're of the same age or the same ethnicity, but what unites us is Christ. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, things that normally divide mankind do not apply here. We may have different life experiences, but we have one Savior. We may, have different, we may be of different ages, but we have one Savior. We may be of different intellectual abilities, but we have the same Savior. We may be of different political persuasion, but we have the same Savior. We may have different levels of coolness, but we have the same Savior. We might have different technological capabilities, but we have the same Savior. And Jesus is what makes our fellowship unique. That kind of fellowship is uniquely Christian. What is fellowship? It means to have a share in the lives of people in your church and to give away shares of your life as well. Now, what does fellowship look like? What does building deeply together look like? What does it look like? Verse 42 tells us, and they, being the church, devoted themselves they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, we could translate verse 42 as they continually devoted themselves. The people of Acts chapter 2 devoted themselves to specific things together. Together. Now, to devote, to be devoted means to set something aside as special or unique. A bride devotes a special dress for her big day and does not use it for common everyday use. A NASCAR driver, he drives a, he drives a special car for the big race, not common everyday use car. Chefs devote their kitchen knives for preparing meals, not for common everyday use. Anglers devote their fishing hooks for getting fish, not for common everyday use. Similarly, Christians. We devote our lives to each other, to fellowship with other believers, and not just common everyday use. We are set apart to fellowship with each other. We're set apart to fellowship with each other. It's easy to say that we're devoted to Jesus, and yet remove ourselves from His people. Jesus says devotion to Him means that you will be devoted to his body in some way, shape, or form. So how, how, how should we express that devotion one to another? How should we express that devotion one to another? And I'm not going to lie, this is very difficult work. We serve a perfect Savior, and yet we are imperfect people. Loving Jesus is easy. Loving his bride often is not. 
So how can we be devoted to each other? First, we can see each other through the eyes of Jesus. We can see each other through the eyes of Jesus. Last week, we saw Jesus looking at the crowds with eyes of compassion because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. How does Jesus look at you? He looks at you with eyes of compassion and eyes of love. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he looks at you and he never, he never says, I'm tired of him or I'm tired of her. He looks at you with love, love unending, love forever, love vast and deep. And so that also means that he looks at people who tempt you, try you, grate on you, berate you, irritate you, and disagree with you. He looks at them with love too. Do you look at others in the church with the love that Jesus does? Obviously, we can't love others the way Jesus does, but it's instructive to recognize how Jesus views that person that you have a hard time with, with love. It's a great comfort for our souls to hear from Romans chapter 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me from His love. What a joy. What a celebration. What a truth that informs my life. The same is true about the person that really bothers you in small group. You see... Oftentimes, we expect people in the church to be perfect and to be different than they are or not to be so messy and difficult. The reality is we're all in process. And fellowship is dangerous. We serve a sinless Savior, but we do not gather among sinless people. One day we will. One day we will gather together and none of us will sin against each other ever again. It's helpful to look at other people through the eyes, with the eyes that Christ does. That person who gets on your nerves, Jesus died for them. That person who bothers you and just is always asking something of you. That person, Jesus, lives to intercede for that person by name. Look at others with the eyes of Christ. And then look at yourself. We need to realize that we need other people. Jesus has built us to need other people. Fellowship with Christians is one of the primary means the Lord uses to keep his people safe from the ravages of ruined lives. Hebrews 3 says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the truth that the writer of the Hebrews is getting at. We are good at seeing sin in the lives of other people, We're bad at seeing it ourselves because the sin in our own lives is deceitful. Sin doesn't come out and say, hey, here I am. 
doesn't light itself up in neon colors. I am blind to the sin in my life that you can see much more easily. You know what I wish? I wish when it came to conviction that Jesus Christ Himself would come to me and say, hey, you should probably work on this, this area of your life. Amen. Absolutely. I absolutely will, Jesus. I will take you and at your word and I will work that way. And I will work to, that way in my life. And, and I'll work, to, work on that area of my life. Absolutely. But what Jesus has done is he has put us in fellowship with other people. And what he often does is speaks through other people to us. People that are unworthy. People that are messy. People who are in process just like we do. We are. That's hard. That's hard. But yet we're called to be devoted one to another. Part of what it looks like to be devoted to Jesus is to be devoted to other Christians in your local church. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to go around correcting people all the time. But it does mean that oftentimes Jesus appears to us And speaks to us with the voice of people in our church. That's what happens when we fellowship. None of us are so discerning that we don't need anyone. We need each other. We need people to have a share in our lives. And we need others. We need to to have shares in other people's lives as well. We need to be devoted to each other. And lastly, we're going to ask the question, how can we be devoted to fellowship? What does it look like practically? What does it look like on the ground? It's not difficult. And it's difficult, but it's not, I'm not going to say these things and you're going to say, well, duh. We need to make time in our life for people. Sitting down with your calendar and planning on having people over or being or making room in your calendar so that you can be with people is not going to sound very spiritual, but it is. Part of being devoted is making time so that you have time to be devoted to others. If our lives are so full of leisure and work and sports and kids' sports that we don't have time to fellowship around Jesus, we will not be able to be devoted to the fellowship that we see here in Acts chapter 2. We have to each make time. We have to make time. We're called to pray for people. Every person in this room has a need. Every person in this room carries a burden on their back. Every person in this room needs prayer. There are people who lost sleep last night because of a burden that visited them as they laid their head down on their pillow. And these people, they need prayer. Everyone has reason to need prayer. And it behooves us as the church to know who people, what the, the needs of the people in our lives are. We have people who need employment. There are people who need to be healed from cancer. There are people who are struggling because their children are wayward. There are people who are pregnant. We want to pray for healthy pregnancies. We want to, there are kids trying to decide where to go to college. With, with, they need wisdom for the future. There are discouraged people who just need to be encouraged. There are weary people who just need to have hope. There are grieving people who need their hand held. There are people who are in debt and don't think they could ever get out. And our task as a church 
each collectively and individually is to pray for these people. And when we pray for them, we'll find that we care for them. And when we pray for people, we'll find ways to serve people. See, part of being devoted to fellowship means that we're aware of people's needs and we look to try to help them. If we just wait for the leaders, the elders, the pastors, for me to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to be able to be devoted to fellowship appropriately. I don't know near all the needs in this room. It takes a church to build a church. It takes a church of people aware of the needs of others together working to be together in fellowship. So how can you help those that need employment? How can you help those that are sick? How can you help those who are struggling with wayward children? How can you help those who are pregnant? How can you help those that need wisdom for the future or need encouragement or just weary or grieving or in debt? Find ways to help those people be devoted to fellowship in that way. You can also find ways to serve with people. Every single ministry we have in the church needs help. And we do ministries in the church not just so that we can get stuff done, but so that we can communicate the love of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible. And so when you serve alongside people, you get to know people. You, you get to know who they are. You get to know what makes them tick. You, get to be, you can be devoted to people side by side as you serve in youth or children's ministry or you're a greeter or serve mow the lawns on the landscape. You can find ways to serve with people. That's one of the ways you can be devoted. And we can give ourselves to other people. I can tell you this is very dangerous. It's very uncomfortable. It's very counterintuitive. But it's God's design for us. How do we build deeply? We give ourselves. As we give ourselves to the Lord, we give ourselves to each other. Charles Spurgeon says this, Give yourself to the church. That's to the people of the church, not the building, not even the ministries, but the people. Give yourself to the church. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. As I've already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you for your not joining it if you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Building deeply is going to take more time than we think. But it's going to take investment and buy-in and a decision to say, you know what, it might not be safe, but I'm going to give myself to other people. 
If we wait, try to hop in when we feel apart or when the Spirit moves or when, it, when it's like, okay, it just seems right. We're never going to ever feel like it's time to do that. Building deeply is difficult. It, we put ourselves, we make ourselves vulnerable. And it takes time. Building deeply means taking an interest in someone less mature than you. Building deeply means taking an interest in someone more mature than you. Building deeply takes an openness to people who are unlike you. Building deeply does not mean that every conversation has to be somber and deep. Building deeply starts with us. Each of us must make the decision to devote ourselves to Jesus by devoting ourselves to his people. What happens when we build deeply and devote ourselves to fellowship? We can see what happened in Jerusalem in verse 46. Look there. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See what they experienced? They gave themselves to the Lord by giving themselves to each other, and they experienced real joy. Their hearts were glad at things that seemed small, like food. They were generous with what they had. Gladness and generosity is infectious. It spreads. Just like negativity and suspicion can spread, gladness and generosity can spread. It is infectious. And a people who give themselves first to the Lord and then to others will spread gladness and generosity. Also, when you give yourself to other people, you'll find more reason to praise God. You see, when I just listen to myself, when I talk to myself, I don't find much reason to praise God, but when I talk to another believer who builds me up in the faith and I recognize what God is doing over there and God is doing in someone else's life, I will have more reason to praise God. These people, they praise God because they saw from other angles what God was doing. And the surrounding community thought well of them. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People who are devoted to Jesus by being devoted to others are compelling. The world out there is dying to be a part of something bigger than themselves. As Christians, we are. We're a part of the body of Christ. There's no other institution that Jesus promised would prevail against the gates of hell. Like the church. So may we be a people who follow our King and our Savior by giving ourselves to Him as we give ourselves to each other. Jesus has given Himself thoroughly to us. He devoted all of himself to destruction. He devoted all of himself to death. He gave all of himself so that we might be able to face the future without fear. So that we might be able to be men and women and boys and girls who can follow Jesus without fear and fellowship one with another, knowing that we'll be sinned against, that we'll be disappointed, that we might have trouble 
but we serve Jesus. And we're all in process. So how do we build deeply? We build deeply by devoting ourselves to Jesus and giving ourselves to each other. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for, I pray that you would just help us all, Lord. It, it's so tempting to want to protect ourselves by rolling up like a roly-poly and putting, an, putting protection out there and just saying, you know, I'm going to just be by myself and do my own thing. I'm going to be here while, where it's safe, Lord. Lord, all of us have that temptation. But I pray that you would just present to all of us just the compelling picture of what it is to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of something bigger. Lord, I pray that we would see the benefits of being devoted to you as we're devoted to each other. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us. I pray you would bless us, continue to bless us with unity, togetherness. Lord, I pray that you would... Help us to freely give ourselves to others as you've freely given yourself to us. I pray that we would be a church that builds deeply, Lord. I pray that we would foster relationships here that wouldn't just last for decades, but last for eternity. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.